Series 2 of the Build Me A Brewery podcast is proudly partnered with Lalamond Brewing to bring you the best commercial brewing information and advice. Lalamond Brewing has been supporting both the home brewing and professional brewing community for decades with high quality products and technical know-how to ensure your beer is the best it can be. Choose Lalamond Brewing because they brew with you. Welcome, you're listening to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. My name is Chris Hayton, your host. We continue with our wild ales and fermentation segment where I chat with brewery owners that are pushing the envelope in regards to the unique types of beers they're producing and offering to the craft beer market. In part two, I chat with husband and wife duo Alex and Yvonne Jarman from botany-based brewery Slow Lane Brewing. Despite the name, Slow Lane are quickly building a reputation within the brewing community, especially here in Sydney and putting together some quality, complex beers in the form of traditional European-style beers. Having a barrel-age program, open fermentation practices, and trying to brew true to the style by focusing on the fermentation side of the beer brewing process, the typical turnaround for beer in the tank to a customer's glass is much longer than other modern-day lager and parallel breweries, which is where Slow Lane derives its name from. Being open not much longer than 12 months and battling with ongoing lockdowns and COVID restrictions, Alex and Yvonne have expertly navigated their new brewery business to some early days success, which much more to come, I imagine. It's a great chat with both of them who explain their journey of opening up, their passions when it comes to brewing particular styles, and they also breathe inspiration to other aspiring brewery owners who may be looking at offering a unique point of difference as well. So I'll leave you to it then. I hope you enjoy our chat with Alex and Yvonne Jarman from Slow Lane Brewing. This episode is proudly supported by DME Process Systems, manufacturers of the gear that brews the beer in Australia and around the world. Visit dmebrewing.com to learn more about their brew houses, cellar tanks, and accessory equipment trusted by thousands of breweries around the world. DME Gear has been used for 30 years and is built to last, and their first brew house still brews beer today. Build a brewery with the DME team, they'll help you build a system that will fit your brewery owner dreams and production goals. dmebrewing.com to learn more, that's dmebrewing.com. Well, welcome Alex and Yvonne to the Build Me Brewery podcast. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks for having us. And just as an FYI to all the listeners out there, we've got... um, uh, a little three-month-old with us as well, um, so who knows? We might edit out some cries or hysterical <laughs> um, sort of episodes, but yeah, I'm really happy that you guys were both able to both come on as well, especially with a, a little one. I know what it's like, <laughs> but continuing on, I guess, with the wild, unique, open fermentation segment, the the title seems to be a, a work in progress. But uh, I was excited to actually have you guys on and talk about the. I guess the fairly new brewery of yours, based out in Sydney's Botany area, Slow Lane Brewing. I think a lot of people may know you, especially in that Sydney area. And you know, I know Crafty Pint have done a, a cool little piece on you as well. So, but you guys are doing something very unique in in the sense of the types of beer styles you guys are tackling, and, and as well as the the brewing process as well, some traditional methods and European style beers that you guys um, are offering. So. Wanted to really explore that and, and really get to know how you guys have started out and how you're coping as well, especially with these um, new wave of lockdowns. But uh, before we get into all that, um, are you guys able to give the audience a, a bit of a rundown of how you guys have come to be slow lane? So, yeah, um, as you said, like we're relatively new. Like We started, say, like just over a year ago, released our first beers on the market. Um, but obviously, the like the journey, kind of the planning of the brewery has been many years so i guess it started in the us we're both living in new york uh and like i'd always been into beer but um once i got to the us i got even more into beer just like the craft beer scene over there's um you know a lot going on like so many breweries like so so much more variety than i was used to in australia um so really into just exploring all the the breweries and different beers over there and then Yvonne bought me a homebrew kit and then that got me really into the brewing side of things 
uh, which I hadn't really, other than like kind of like a failed Cooper's kit experiment <laughs> once in Australia, I hadn't really ever got into that. It's a rite um, of passage, kind of, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> that was probably about 10 years beforehand and hadn't touched anything since. Um, but yeah, I got more and more into the home brewing side of things. Uh, and then, yeah, eventually ended up quitting corporate job when we moved from New York to San Francisco and got experience at a couple of commercial breweries in San Francisco. So that was 2016. Yeah. This whole time kind of was thinking about it would be cool to open our own brewery when we moved back to Sydney, which is always a plan. And so, yeah, we moved back a couple of years ago. Got that into, um, at the time I was kind of stay-at-home dad. So while I was doing that, I was out trying to find a property somewhere in Sydney for the brewery and um, to get things underway. So we found That took a while because it wasn't that easy to find the right place and for the landlord to be happy with, you know. Mm, it's style. key. It's absolutely key, isn't it? Location, location. It's it just been talked about so much on this podcast but yeah sorry yeah definitely like location as well as just finding a, a building that will work for a brewery and a bar and there's like yeah lots of considerations and yeah in the Sydney, right budget Sydney's expensive so yeah. Ooh, um, yeah and I guess what so coming back so I guess what we wanted to do as a brewery like you know slow lane is prefers to the type of beers we make so they do take longer and then a lot of them are barrel age so we also needed a decent amount of space not that our brewery is that big but we have like you know high ceilings and kind of like stack a decent amount of barrels and tanks and conditioning cans and kegs in there um so i guess yeah everything we did around setting out the brewery was definitely um driving towards that vision of the beers that we wanted to make those slowly fermented um yeah more traditional european style beers yeah so the journey was kind of i guess it's been a number of years because we moved back in 2017 you signed the lease in 2019 and then we released the first beer in may 2020 and then the um the brewery tasting um bar came about in january 2021 so it's been like a step-by-step -step process yeah right and just before COVID as well yeah that must yeah, be tough <laughs> yeah no i feel for all those breweries that have started out and kudos to those that have been able to work and, and you guys are definitely one of them i think uh, another one a story that i follow a lot and i may get them on as well is flaming galar down in huskisson i think it is you know, they, they started their brewery build journey right in the middle of COVID and have been navigating it ever since. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to sort of uh, navigate, I guess. So, and Yvonne, you also have always shared a love of beer as well, along with Alex, or is it something, you know, that is rubbed off on you? Oh, I definitely would say my love of beer kind of also started in the US. And obviously, Alex has been a big influence in that, but just because. I feel like many trips that we did in the US, like, you know, with Australian expats being in the US, we wanted to travel a lot, but a lot of our traveling was centered around basically going to breweries or, <laughs> um, you know, cities with good beer. Well, there yeah. is a brewery in like every town in the US. So yeah. just managed to find them all. So it wasn't too hard to plan. Yeah. So um, stuff, stuff the theme parks, stuff the uh, landmarks. Let's just find out what the, the local brewery is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but also, like, I mean, we lived in um, New York or specifically in, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and then um, we also lived in San Francisco, and those places, I would say, have pretty, like, well-developed kind of craft beer scene. There's a lot of bars where it's just, you, you know, you've got, like, 20, 30, like, different types of draft beer that you can choose from. So it was just being exposed to that, that kind of, really got me into the scene as well and I think like I had not had sort of you know a mixed fermentation or a sour beer or just you know a beer that almost tastes like wine kind of until I moved over there and realized there's so much more variety yeah and it's definitely even like just typical restaurants would have like quite a good beer list like 
there'd be as much focus on the beer list as the wine list a lot of places and even like the shower ridge kind of like um you know whatever cuisine like thai restaurant whatever it was like would often have some like craft beers on the menu i guess it was a lot lot more accessible yeah and and i think like because it's so accessible like a lot of your friends are also into it as well like i remember a lot of my workmates like you know once a year when you know russian river like releases their findings like everyone's going over there so it was like kind of part of the culture yeah so you guys obviously have taken the approach with slow lane being a very i guess an adapter of traditional european style beers so you know belgian styles barrel aged beers was there a sort of moment where you thought stuff doing this the, the common core range of a parallel ipa and a stout let's do something different was that or is it just something that just developed into you know the 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 model of slow lane was it always something from the very beginning that's what you wanted to do yeah I and mean, they were like even when i was in the us like they were those type of beers were always the ones that interested me the most i guess like even before before i went to the us even back in sydney like i saw a lot of the i was always trying to explore like new beers and i guess at that time there wasn't the same craft beer scene so a lot of the, those beers i was exploring were like imports so there's a lot of like belgian and german beers so that's Probably like the first beers I really got into outside of like typical Aussie lagers. Yep. And then I guess when I was in the US, like the breweries I really admired the most were those ones that kind of did those old world European styles or like um, barrel aging or sort of mixed fermentation. And so I always wanted, they're the beers I always wanted to make. It was just, you know, I guess I always tried to like mold the brewery into a sort of business proposition that would focus on those beers because that's what I was most passionate about. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a, a model that I'm interested in as well. In, in my conversation with Toph, I was at Wildflower, I was very intrigued on, you know, the model they have with having their work contracted out and then on site, you know, that it's all in the fermentation process is where they, they really try to separate themselves. So it's very interesting. And uh, I think maybe 10 years ago, maybe, Australia wasn't quite ready or quite it wasn't a big enough market for these styles of beers I might be wrong in saying that maybe there was but I think definitely there's a case for it now it's people are always saying it's so hard to get Belgian style beers or barrel aged limited releases you know and if they've got a local brewery in their area that does it week in week out then you know it's it's definitely that unique selling proposition I guess but tell us a bit more about how you guys started out as well in terms of the physical brewery build and the opening up and, you know, the licensing. You know, I, I really want to get to know a bit about, you know, we've already discussed the idea around it, but like to hear about challenges, successes, knockbacks, you know, anything you can share with the audience. Definitely took a long time. So, yeah, I think it was probably two years, I guess it was over two years from when we signed the lease till we opened the bar. And yeah, over a year from when we signed the lease till we started brewing in the first place. And I mean, there was How lots did of council take. So the council, like, yeah, like there was a few months at the start where nothing happened because so we were waiting for council. Um, so that was definitely. I mean, everyone has like every brewery basically has that experience as like at least one thing of council that kind of holds stuff up. But like once we got past that, in some ways, we it was our choice to kind of do it more slowly because we did a lot of the work ourselves. It could have been done faster if we got a whole like project manager and a lot of like a, a lot of like contractors. We end up doing a lot of the install ourselves. So we like we got our equipment, most of our like all the tanks and brew house from China. So we went to over to China twice um, to inspect that, uh, and then we ended up like setting most of that up ourselves rather than it was easier than trying to get the manufacturer to send staff over. And then I guess the whole plan was to get like the brewing. Especially because we the beers we make takes a long time. The whole plan was to get the brewing side of things up as quickly as possible, um, so I could start like filling barrels. Like the first thing we did was once we got the brewing side up and going, we like filled a lot of barrels, um, and then soon after that, I guess was when COVID hit. So then we kind of put the whole bar on hold, and so that's why the bar ended up opening a lot later, because uh, we 
did more and more of that stuff ourselves just during the COVID period. Yeah, I mean, everything just took really long because, for example, like you and your dad and uncle kind of literally installed the equipment. And so that would have taken longer than, you know, if you have professionals coming in installing the equipment for you, like, you know, like, I don't know, getting three quotes to do the floors um, and stuff like that. Like, I guess because we didn't have the budget to kind of employ a project manager or, you know, get someone to kind of do everything for us, I guess we invested more time Mm. Instead of money, I guess. <laughs> and, th- and that's the, the risk you take, isn't it? It's like, well, if you haven't got it in the budget, try to do it on your own if, you, if you've got the capability. And, you know, but you can't expect to be saving really much in time, is it? So, you know, some people will employ a you know, town planner to guide them through the, you know, the, the council um, process and DA process. And some people will, you know, get someone to do the install and commissioning. And, um, you know, so... Yeah, I guess it's like people have got to do what they've got to do. And uh, was there anything that you sort of look back and think, gosh, I wish I paid someone to do that? <laughs> uh, in some ways, yes. But I'm kind of happy that we did it ourselves at the time because I guess we didn't really have the – obviously, if you had more funds, then, yeah, it would have been quicker and easier and would, you know, had a – done a better job on certain areas if we got professionals in to do everything but we also never would have opened because we would have run out of money <laughs> so, so yeah. i think like i think it works um and we definitely did there's definitely things have improved since we um we've opened like you know we started out with some equipment that was you know just to get a, get by until we had more money seems so like we started out with like a basically like a homebrew size like grain mill and then we're able to upgrade that over time started out with a man- very manual like canning system and now i've got like a better like automated small canning line things like that like things that are easy to upgrade later we kind of just did what we you know things that would work and wouldn't affect the quality of the beer might be inefficient um but you know would make good beer and then you know over time just progressively upgrade stuff yeah i guess touching on maybe a similar question that i asked earlier is you said that you know there's maybe not too many things that you can think back on as to you'd pay someone to do that next time around. But uh, looking back on what you've done, would there be anything you would have done differently? It might not be you would have paid someone to do something for you, but maybe how you set up the brewery or the size of the system you went with or, you know, is there anything, you know, that you sort of look back on and you think, oh, next, if I have my time again, I'd, I'd do do this differently. I mean, you're running out of space. Um- yeah, it is. <laughs> there's lots of things but there they would all have required much more money up yeah. front we wanted to try and like self-fund this so we could have like control over like how we did it um, so we didn't want to bring on a lot of external investors or anything yep uh, so we we're kind of yeah limited in the funds so yeah i'd love more space more tanks but yeah we can expand those things down the line obviously it's probably more efficient and easier to do up front but mm. but i think we've got the, the base things in and we can yeah change up aspects to how the brewery works and over time and what what size system have you gone with you're on the same system i imagine yeah 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 so yep. it's like um it's a 12 heck yep. system oh that's a decent um, so, size isn't it yeah it's, yeah it's- so like we're very happy with that size like mm. i don't think we, we wouldn't have done anything differently there uh, yep. i think that's a good good compromise between being able to brew a decent amount of beer at a time but you know even if because a lot of the beers we make it not necessarily like the most hyped popular styles out there they wouldn't necessarily want to make like 30 heck of them so it might yeah. be hard to sell yeah um, but like, we're comfortable that you know we can sell through of heck the letters of like these more obscure styles Mm. Are you doing just are you double batching whenever you brew or are you uh, no, just, just, no? just single batching? Like we've got the ability to double batch and we're going to do that yep. more popular styles um and so that more popular beers in the future. But yeah, for now just we just do a single 12 pack batch of everything. Well, I guess diving into more on the 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 actual brewing process and what makes you guys slightly unique. And you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times in our chat so far is you know, the whole idea around 
the name slow lane is because you guys take a, a lot of a, a slower, more patient approach to the brewing process, letting beers ferment out over a month or up to a month. Are you able to talk us through some of the traditional methods slow lane uses? Sure. So to start with, for most of our beers, we use open fermentation. So what that involves is that we have these open top tanks that we, we use for the primary fermentation for the first sort of couple of days or up to a week um, during active fermentation. And then we transfer the beer to like a aging tank or barrels for further conditioning. The reason we chose to do that is for the styles of beer that we make, especially like those, those beers that are really focused on like the fermentation character, like kind of the ester profile of the beer, like things like German, like Weiss beers and some like Belgian styles, um, like Saisons and so Abbey styles, that kind of thing. We think that it really gives like a different, at least different, but like I think preferable like flavor profile than you would get in like a typical modern, like closed um, uni tank. And it also like using open tanks also um, allows us to top crop the yeast to repitch it. Um, so you're also getting like healthier yeast than you would if you like getting like the yeast from the bottom of the tank where you get a lot of like sediment trube and dead yeast cells, etc. So lagers are like referred to as bottom fermenting. Mm. Yeah, most of the stuff we do is um, ales and they're the ones that would be easier to top crop. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about, I guess, your barrel aging program that you sort of employ. Yeah. So we, ha- we have about... 40 something barrels, um, yep. mostly ex wine barrels, just from like the Hunter Valley. And um, we have a couple of um, bourbon barrels that we've imported from the States. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, like, other than the bourbon barrels, like all the wine barrels, they're all like the mixed fermentation beers. So, we, um, we're using like, we generally like ferment them with like, you know, typical um, brewer's yeast and then. When transfers to the barrel, we add like some, at least one or multiple like Britannomyces strains. I was also typically also add souring bacteria, so um, Lactobacillus or Pediococcus. Yep. And then yeah, let them age and see what happens. So typically let them age for at least six months, but now I think most of them are probably like eight to fourteen months. Is probably what we're looking at. Yeah, we have some barrels that are, I think 14 months old is up is our oldest. And yeah, most of the stuff we've packaged recently has been probably that eight, nine, ten months old. Yeah, right. Was there a, a reason I I've heard of breweries, bourbon barrels seem to be a, a a popular choice for when doing barrel aged beers. Is other people going for wine barrels or whiskey barrels, or is there um a big difference in between, you know, which type you get? Uh, so bourbon barrels are, that are like freshly emptied and still like have residual bourbon on the inside. They're yep. great for like stouts and barley wines and like that's what we've been using them for. Yep. Um, that bourbon flavor infuses into the beer and because you have like a strong alcohol in the barrel, you're less likely to get like wild yeast or bacteria contamination so you can make a clean beer in them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like wine barrels, they're more popular for like mixed fermentation, like sour beers, because it's what the wine, residual wine in there is not enough to ensure that a beer won't like sour or get wild yeast contribution. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and just talking a bit about the yeast that you reharvest, tell us a, a bit about how you select your yeast and are you actually cultivating and, um, you know, maybe developing your own strains are you able to talk a bit about how you sort of manage your yeast yeah so our approach of yeast is that we like to use a lot of different yeast strains uh so i guess to enable us to do that so we're using like lab yeast that we've sourced from different providers so we use a whole lot of like brewing yeast like saccharomyces strains um depending on the style of beer we're brewing so we use a lot of like Belgian um, kind of farmhouse style strains, as well as um, like if we're brewing like a German Weiss beer, we obviously use a strain that 
you know, it's appropriate for that style. And then in terms of like the mixed fermentation to barrel aged beers, um, we also source different like retinomyces, like lacto PDO strains from different yeast labs, mostly in the US, um, various labs over there, different um, depending on the beer, like yeah, different strains. And that's, that's what we've done for the majority of the beers in terms of like, I guess, repitching. Um, we're starting to, we've got open fermenters, like sort of reuse yeast between beers, but that's just, that's not wild yeast strains as much as just Saccharomyces. What we're starting to do is if when we're starting to now like reuse barrels, if we particularly liked the profile that we're, um, we got from like a previous like mixed fermentation barrel aged beer, we might just like either not rinse or the barrel or just, yeah, like either give it a small like cold water rinse or not rinse it at all and just like kind of reuse whatever residual yeast and bacteria was in that barrel yeah right okay and is your we, we commented a little bit about your equipment and you know a bit about your setup are you able to talk a little bit more about you know is is the setup slightly different to your typical brewery that's you know just doing sort of your you know your core range type beers yeah it is but the brewing size is pretty similar but in terms of fermentation and packaging it's quite different because we're not like most of our beers have like at least a month or probably multiple months or longer like turnaround. We have, I guess, these kind of stackable like stainless tanks that we can use for like long aging beers. We do a lot of beers, like some of our favorite beers to do are, are those ones that they're still in stainless tanks, but they're like mixed fermentation beers with botanomyces. So they still take a couple of months to turn around. So things like we do like a traditional um, Berliner Weisse style beer when, like I said, it's been like a sort of quick turnaround kettle sour beer. It's a kind of couple of month long aged, like sort of long soured with botanomyces beer. So we have these, you know, tanks that not temperature controlled and sort of not pressure rated. So they're a lot cheaper. Um, so we can justify like leaving a beer in it for a few months rather than a couple of weeks. I guess the other thing we do differently is like all our beer is like keg and can conditioned. So we don't we don't need pressurized tanks. So everything gets filled basically still with like a small amount of carbonation. And we add like yeah, fresh yeast and priming sugar and everything goes through a, to another fermentation in the keg and can. We do that, I guess, because of the style of beers that we want to make, like those Belgian styles and things like German, like wheat beers, they that is like traditional for those styles and to get kind of higher carbonation levels you that's the way you have to do it you can't you can't fill bottles with like highly carbonated beer you need to be able to like carbonate it in the can or keg mm, so a lot of natural carbonation yeah yeah mm. and so it's all you're not using like co2 cylinders to like as an ingredient to carbonate the beer using just the natural co2 produced fermentation yeah right okay and I'd imagine some of the biggest challenges you face with the, the the brewing, I guess, approach that you take is time, probably being one of them, um, turnaround and all that. But like, so you're not in a the, the the beers that you're offering aren't sort of big, fast movers. Therefore, the I guess the the real intrigued punter, I guess, the ones that are looking for you know something very different, which is a growing group, a, a customer market, I imagine, but. But time probably being one of them, probably space as well. Would that be as well, like you were saying earlier? But you know, having to have a barrel age program, you need quite a bit of space, I imagine. Yeah, we, we managed to do a lot with our small space. There's a lot of time spent shuffling things around, trying to get to a barrel or get to some cans of the conditioning. Um, like probably part of the reason why I was saying that our beers in the barrels are spending longer in the barrels now is because some of the barrels at the back of the brewery is really hard to get to. <laughs> Alex has a lot of fun with his forklift. <laughs> right, so a bit of Tetris going on. Yep. A lot of Tetris. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and, I mean, we've gone through a lot about the brewing process. A couple of questions I have. You guys have got your own brew house, but do you ever find yourself having to source work from other breweries or like on work contracts or anything? It's obviously a very different model to what TOEF has at Wildflower. You guys are pretty much doing all the 
the work producing on site, I'd imagine. Yeah, so we definitely really looked into that um, model of like contract brewing the work and just commencing it on site. Uh, and yeah, we're definitely strongly considering that at some point. But yeah, we end up buying our own brew house. I think because we we do do some shorter turnaround beers and it's not just like the barrel aging and long-term beers. I think it's useful to have our own brew house so we can like easily push out those beers and we can get more like variety and um, what we do put in the barrels, I guess we can get more variety. Because it's easier to do it through like a different recipe of like a different work recipe every time. Mm. Well, I think that was one of the issues that Toph brought up on our chat was that he was reliant on trying to fit in other breweries production schedules to get you know the work um, produced and and you know and and it's like you're at the mercy of them i know that there'll be some sort of mous and sort of understandings between the two but you know uh, if you've got in the budget it'd be i guess a lot more uh in your interest to sort of be able to produce the work yourself but you know another thing that toast said that they were able to open up on a lot less money than what it would be for someone who had the whole typical brewery type setup you know i'd imagine that it'd be significantly cheaper being able to you know do it just the fermenting side but maybe i don't know if that i can't recall if it was something that he said he was maybe aiming towards of actually doing brewing on on site at one at one point in time but uh yeah so it seems like you guys yeah you've gone that one step further with actually having the brewing happening on site yeah i guess one thing that i didn't really think of one while playing the brewery um is that like it's when we're having a lot of like i'm sure tofu would have the same issues like when you have a lot um of barrels and a lot of these like long age beers yes you have like a lot of money tied up in like the ingredients and um like it's the time taken to make those beers that is sitting in the um barrel for like months or year so that definitely like hurts financially obviously if you you know it's not like it would be nicer to get like you know to brew a batch and sell it a couple of weeks later rather than a year later but i know that's the model we've chosen i guess you kind of in theory like the beers are priced accordingly Mm. and and yeah just i'm interested to know how you do i mean you don't have to go into the your whole pricing strategy on how it works but i'm interested to know how do you price something that's prolonged fermented or or barrel age you know um someone who's I guess it's quite easier to work out how, you know, something that takes two or three weeks from grain to bottle or can, you know, it's, you've got a bit of an idea on what that's going to cost you, but what's six months going to cost, you know, what's 12 months going to cost you? Is there a sort of a pricing model that you have? I mean, I probably should have a better system than what I have because my previous career wasn't accountant. I was an accountant (laughs) for like 10 years or something. Um, So I know in I know how in, in theory like how you would do it, um, but we don't have like a you know a super complex um, you know activity based costing system or something. But yeah, I would do like we look at when we're releasing beers, we look at like how long it's spent in barrels or tanks because yeah, you know, it's like overheads and rent and everything. And then I guess look at like labor costs, like obviously moving beers in and out of barrels is a lot less a lot more labor than just putting in a tank um so i guess all that stuff feeds into like the cost of the beer and how much we charge for it yeah right okay before we move on to some more of the business and marketing side because i'd like to get both your take on you know how the the market is responding to the type of beers you guys are putting out and the the sort of model you've gone with uh anything else you'd like to sort of dive into on on the brewing side uh i had some notes here about you know, we've talked about how you use your yeast and, and so forth, but using hops, is there any any special sort of or uniqueness that you do with, with you know, how you introduce hops into your beers? Uh, is it all just, you know, the magic happens in the boil or is there any sort of late dry hopping going on in, in the process? Yeah, it's like one thing we're starting to explore more now. Like when we first started, um, we are definitely very much focused on the yeast and then play the malt. Um, and we just use like various like types of like European noble hops, um, just like small amounts in the in the beer. But um, now we're starting to explore like sort of more like new world hops. And then I guess what we're really interested in is like the kind of interplay between 
the hops in the yeast. Um, so I guess it's, you know, Nipahs and hazy beers these days is talk of like the biotransformation of like the dry hop flavors by like the, the yeast, the fermentation. So definitely interested in like exploring that. And then also like, I think this hasn't been explored that much, but there's definitely like similar thing with like when you have beers with Britannomyces, Britannomyces over time will, will dry hot beers with Britannomyces, the Britannomyces will kind of um, potentially biotransform or like this um, change those like dry hot flavors. Uh, so we've done a few beers um, in the last six months or so where we've, um, they are like they're dry hopped beers with like Britannomyces in them. Um, so that, that kind of thing really interests me that you know it's a whole nother element of different flavors you can get you're producing a lot of new beers on a regular basis i imagine you know you can't especially the the style that you guys are you know the the approach you take to the brewing process and fermentation process you're not always going to have the the exact same similar tasting or, or or flavor profile beer if you you know i imagine especially if you're playing with different yeast in barrels and, you know, you, you can influence it dramatically batch to batch, I imagine. But is there anything that you sort of, you know, that you try to aim towards, like some crowd favourites that you guys sort of have at the moment historically? I know you guys are still fairly new and probably experimenting, but is there any sort of, you know, I know Toph's got like a house beer or table beer that he sort of puts out regularly, but, you know, batch to batch that's going to change. Is there something similar that you guys have going on at the moment? Yeah, there's a couple of beers that we've, regularly so one of them is called refractory belgian blonde this one is designed to be like the type of beers the like trappist breweries in belgium would serve like kind of the ones that might only serve in-house or to serve at their cafe like they're kind of lower alcohol sort of easy drinking belgian style beers that you might not might they're unlikely to be exported or sold much outside the monastery um so that's like kind of the biggest selling one in our tasting room that's pretty much always available and then we have this botany weisser series where they um like i talked about earlier like the traditional berliner weiss style beer and then we this beer is probably not that traditional but then we take that beer and like we add different fruit so have a, you know have a, a mango passion fruit apricot um pineapple version um you just keep keep ex- experimenting you have different fruits they're the, um soft my head they're the ones, the beers that we like regularly. Yeah, I mean, you've brewed Thirsty Miner a few times, which is a grisette. Yeah, the other ones, yeah. I guess our mid-strength option is that like a um, so 3.8% grisette called Thirsty Miner. We don't have it at the moment, but that's one I try and have most of the time. They're like great, like summer, like easy drinking, like dry, sessionable, but a bit like probably a yeast character and like relatively bitter for like a um, low alcohol beer. I wouldn't say we have like a core range or anything like that. It's more just these are ones that, you know, you continuously have in your repertoire, but not necessarily say they're sort of the ones you go out there in this core. But honestly, like I, I feel like Alex gets a kick out of brewing things that he's actually not sure how the market would take it. Like, for example, like recently he put out a Heffelweizen, and, you know, not knowing whether it would be really that popular yeah like people took up on it so yeah it's sold out very quickly so yeah like that was one where i thought it might be a one-off but like we've now already brewed it again because there was a you know surprisingly good reception to it and you know it's the bit beers like that get like a bad name in australia like there's a perception that no one likes them um but i guess there are you know we're not doing huge volumes but there's obviously enough people out there that do appreciate some of those lesser scene styles. Yeah, and it's it's come up a couple of times on series one. It might have been a couple of conversations I had with like Neil Playfoot and John Gonzalez, you know, who are based over in China. You know, they've got a different palette over there. You know, like the culture over there is, um, well, wheat beers and Hefeweizens are, are one of the best-selling beers in, in Asia or especially China. Yeah. So, you know, and country to country, probably your Western-style countries are very similar in terms of the palate and, you know, it goes with the food as well isn't it you know a lot of the cuisine that we eat and all that so i guess it's just this slow evolution of people's palates and then relating to beer and people become a little bit more adventurous and a little bit more 
explorative in terms of what they try. And, and I guess that's why they're starting to become a little bit of a market for the approach that you guys are taking because there's not a lot of, uh, well, I don't know a lot of breweries, but I, I'm starting to hear doing, doing this podcast and, you know, making a little bit of a career in this brewing scene is uh, there is starting to become a bit of a, a few breweries over here that are starting to really focus on your Belgian style beers and, you know, and Trappist and monastery traditional methods. And you guys are one of them. I think Artisian Brewing is another one over in um, WA and uh, you know, and I know Toast doing some, he's got a lot of uh, influences from Belgian and French style beers. So, yeah, and, and it's something that's starting to come on my radar. You know, when I first started doing this podcast, wanting to look at starting a brewery, I was that person, oh, got to get a good pale ale out. I've got to get a good IPA, stout, whatever. And now I'm starting to learn, you know, I'm just going to be another, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. If you do those sort of styles really, really well, good on you. But, yeah, I just think, if you're going to do it, do something different if you can. So, um, and that's, I guess, what the whole, maybe I've finally come up with the, the name of this segment. I, it's, it's something along those lines. But business and marketing side, I think it's an important subtopic to sort of dive into and, and you know, and, and leading into what we were just saying, you know, what are some of the challenges that you guys have found or what, what from your experience doing a unique brewery like Slow Lane, now, what challenges are you facing the customer and consumer market for, for your beers? Are you, are you seeing growth in it? I think overall, like, it's going pretty well. Like, we're finding, like, we're getting, like, pretty good traction on what we bring out and we're not having issues. Like, does, yeah, things like the same before, like, bring out, like, a Hefeweizen and stuff we thought we might have trouble selling, but we found, like, there is a, you know, big enough market for, like, the, you know, small batches of beer that we bring out in more diverse styles. I guess you guys are doing some extremely limit, uh, sometimes limiting things and very um, niche. You know, I know that there's um, some people that love beer subscriptions that are like limited releases, you know. So is that something you guys sort of are doing or look, you know, potentially looking at doing? Yeah, like, I mean, at the moment we, we do a lot of like mixed packs. We have like a, a mixed 12 pack or a mixed six pack that we sell like at the brewery on the website and we find we sell a lot of them um to people that as like a first time purchase that may not know much about all these beers but you know there's 12 12 different beers in a 12 pack like they you know can't go too wrong like even if they don't like one of the beers it's not to their taste then you know that's a small risk to take uh, and then we, yeah, I've looked at doing like a subscription service, and I think some kind of like yeah, something like that. Um, we just want to make sure that we can consistently get out enough new beers to like kind of make that service stack up and to make it attractive. Just mm. make sure that our processes are in order. Have you have you had to adjust much with these recent lockdowns? Uh, like obviously, not many people are coming into the, well, no one can come into the brewery anymore at, at the moment. But uh, I, have you had to? What have you, you know, had to do to adjust um, sort of in, in the package form and maybe delivery sort of format for your beers? Yeah, I mean, definitely like everything we package recently, like we've been putting basically all into cans. We we'll normally put like a, a decent amount into kegs um, just to sell in a tasting room and a few like bars around the place. So definitely online sales are, have been going okay. Like most, we're definitely selling more online than we normally would. Like we we never used to do like really like crowlers or growlers, but we've been starting to um like for beers that we've like run out of in cans, but we still have kegs. We've been starting to um just like fill like cans like crowlers off the tap, try and like give like a so there's some some of these like favorite beers that we sold out of, but so a few kegs to allow people to you know buy them from the brewery or we deliver them. Now, Slow Lane, you guys don't actually, I mean, the brewery experience at the brewery when it is open and laws allow you to, to go into to have a beer, but what would be the, how would you describe the experience for a customer coming into the brewery? And, and I guess maybe talk about some future plans that you guys might have for that consumer experience, like maybe food or, or even you know, anything else that might be on the radar. I mean, yeah. it was very important for us to have the tasting you know, we're in the tasting bar to reflect our, you know, what we're kind of about. So, you know, for us, it's, we're a small family-owned brewery. We like to talk about beer. We like people to kind of, you know, try something new. And so 
the tasting room is exactly that. It's a very relaxed atmosphere. You can bring your dog, you can bring your kids. We make sure like, you know, either we're there or our staff members are there and we're very happy to talk about the beer for you to try a number of beers. Um, you know, you might not like that, so then move on to the next one. So that was sort of quite essential. But also like I think the design or the look and feel of the like the tap room is a little bit sort of our general kind of branding or design as well, which is sort of like it's pretty minimalistic and relaxed, but also kind of clean and comfortable. And then to me, the toilet was really important because I've been to one too many breweries where the I did not want to go to the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if uh, they're using their wastewater along the same line. It just reeks, doesn't it? <laughs> I've been in a couple <laughs> like that. But, uh, yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, your model is, I guess, the volume you guys are putting out, you know, yours is all obviously a lot more about quality, you know, people that are looking, have that palette of wanting to enjoy a high-quality beer and not just, you know, a fast-moving product like a Parallel and IPA. So I guess creating an experience inside the brewery for people to come and have that full experience of what you guys are trying to achieve, like that Belgian and European style coming in, seeing barrels on the wall. And, you know, I know that's what Toph at Wildflower, part of his mindset was creating an atmosphere like that as well. So can't wait to actually come out and see the brewery, actually. And it was actually my partner, Joel, uh, who's sort of helping with some of the video editing and um, when we can, who actually put me onto you guys. He, uh, he's he been out to you guys a couple of times, I think. And, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see the sort of stuff. I've only seen it in photos and all that, but I'm really looking at doing a follow-up piece with some some video and visuals for, for the guys uh, either here in Sydney or elsewhere around Australia to, to sort of have a look at. But was there anything else you guys wanted to sort of share on the, you know, the business and marketing side, uh, you know, of someone who's maybe, maybe this could be a good little last question for everyone and just summing, summing up what we've discussed is, you know, if someone wants to learn and do a similar model like, doing those unique niche-style beers for, for the Australian craft beer market, what sort of advice would you offer to those people? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess one thing in terms of like summing up our approach and how I think about things, so I don't know, I heard this in someone else, it's not my idea, but I guess one of the philosophies we go by is uh, we try and do things that big breweries can't or wouldn't. So. If you like, you know, big breweries can make like basic pale ale beers, basic lagers, um, in like yeah, huge quantities at like very cheap prices, but big breweries aren't gonna do things like open fermentation generally or like can conditioning or barrel aging or like beers with like pretendomyces, that kind of thing. So that's definitely what we focus on. And I think it's always a good thing to like keep in mind when you're like if you're starting a brewery or you're definitely going to you're going to be making a small scale your beer is like so much more expensive to make than larger breweries so it's always good to have a point of difference and even things like if it's not the type of beers we do but even things like nipers and like pastry stouts that kind of thing they're at least they are things that difficult for big breweries to do or big breweries don't want to do so like they're sensible things to focus mm. on yep but then yeah in terms of what you're asking about um where will people get information about doing the type of beers that we focus on so there's like definitely some good facebook groups out there like milk the funk is the yep. biggest one that has a lot of um, info on doing like mixed fermentation and wild beers barrel age and that kind of thing in terms of like european style beers like there's a lot of good books have been written on like belgian and trappist beers and farmhouse styles like most styles out there someone's done like a very like so well-researched book and should be able to find that it's obviously good podcasts as well lots of podcasts out there now like all different aspects of like brewing and styles of beer yeah no there's definitely uh a lot more knowledge than there used to be out there and um yeah milk the funk is uh definitely a group that people should um have a look out for it's you know i think it's like thirty thousand people strong of yeah. people sharing um yeah tips and tricks and advice on um you know wild fermentations and i, I think i saw an arm uh, a post the other day about people doing cool shipping i think a guy was doing it in his barn and he has a, a an owl nest in there and they <laughs> shit it in his cool ship so 
Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, he sent a, vid- a video of it actually of them nesting <laughs> above it. So it was quite funny actually. But um, no, that's great. And like I said, this is another cool little model that people can explore and, and have a think about. And it's something that's starting to come onto my radar as well, like I was saying earlier, you know, rather than just doing, and I don't maybe don't want to use that term. I think I used it in my episode with Tofit, you know, another run of the mill brewery. And, you know, like there's a lot of breweries that are doing those common beers, but are doing them extremely well. And I don't want to disrespect that. But you know, I think if I'm really going to take the plunge in doing this, um, this brewery, it's, you know, what can I offer different to the market, I think, is uh, some strong words I took from Peter Phillip at Waywood, actually. So thanks again for, for coming on, guys. Uh, just before I guess we uh, sign off, if people want to, you know, get in contact or find the brewery you know, or even purchase your beers online, which I, I imagine currently is the only option for purchasing, are you able to share some details around all that? Yeah, definitely visit our website, which is www.slowlanebrewing.com.au. If I didn't add an extra W in there. I'm Um, sure they'll work it out. (laughs) And then we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Slow Lane Brewing as well. And, like, we obviously love feedback and so, you know, definitely, like, contact us, whether through social media or um, via email. Perfect. And to purchase your beers, you've got your own online shop on your website, have you? Yeah. yeah, so deliver Australia-wide, free delivery over $70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the moment we also have same-day local delivery. Yeah, perfect. Well, uh, well, thanks again, Alex and Yvonne, uh, for coming on the Build Me Brewery podcast. Cool. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Build Me a Brewery podcast. I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Slow Lane Brewing. In part three and our final episode of our Wild Ales and Fermentation segment, I chat with US-based East Coast Technical Manager Molly Browning from Lalamon Brewing and Dr. Matthew Faber from the University of Sciences in Philadelphia, where we take a slight pivot and talk about all things sour beers. For further content, visit our website www.billmeabrewery.com.au for more brewery-related content. I also encourage those that have yet to do so to join our 900-plus strong Billmere Brewery Facebook group, link in the show notes, where... Aspiring in planning and industry professionals from Australia and overseas currently share their stories, opinions, and advice. That's all for now. I'm Chris Hayton, your host, and this is the Build Me a Brewery podcast.